Welcome to the Two Mutts Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Marshall. Welcome back to the Two Mutts Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Marshall. I'm with Trevor Ruptash. Rupper, how's it going? Oh, boys, it's not going good, as you can see. Um, oh, boy. Yeah. Rupper is sideways right now. Horizontal. Yeah, um, yeah woke up uh, Monday morning and kind of just getting ready to start the day. Uh, bent over to pick up my jeans and wrenched my back. It was a big to-do around the house. The wife was in there picking me up and the kids were in, the dogs licking my face while I lied pretty much motionless on the floor. So been to the chiropractor a few times and just not getting better. The other day, a, a guy likes to have his morning routine. That's all been shot. My, my morning dump is, is not even where it's at anymore. I had to basically call Cliff's towing to get me off the pot the other day. So yeah, it hasn't been a fun week for Rupper. Haven't been on the ice. I'm getting ridiculed by the coaching staff. Rightfully so. Yeah, I'll just leave it at that. All right. And then the other voice you just heard is Clay Vanderham. Vandy, how's it going? I am good. Thank you. You didn't do that. Vandy is dandy. thought that was going to be your thing. Uh, Vandy is dandy. I am good. I just got off the ice and just finished carving pumpkins. So getting ready for Halloween. All right. uh, Rupper, you want to tease who we have on the podcast this episode? Yeah, we got Edmonton's own Vernon Fiddler joining us. Should be fun. The Fiddler, 38. Yeah, Fids. That'll be a great guest. I appreciate getting him on and getting him on was part of getting you guys on. So another great get from having you guys join the podcast. We uh, we had some sad news this week, fellas. And uh, even I guess there's more sad news today as we record this podcast on Thursday. Travis Roy, a legend in Boston, passed away. And then news of Joey Moss passing away on Monday. Uh, Rupper, your thoughts? A sad week here for the hockey world. Yeah. Um, Joey Moss, if you had to, and I don't want to you know, rank him on where he is as an Edmontonian, but he's got to be close to number one, right? Yeah, he's up there. All-time Edmontonian, who's bigger than him? Honestly. Yeah, I would say, uh, well, obviously Wayne's up there and, I don't know, maybe like Warren Moon uh, for sports-wise. But, yeah, he's definitely up there. You You obviously saw the support, and the support was huge because even a guy like Max Domi, who never played here, but is also, you know, a huge part to, in the hockey community and because his dad played, but uh, he put out a tweet also. And it just shows the support and the love that Joey had for this community. And it hit me pretty hard. I spoke to Bob Stoffer shortly after it happened and Bob told me some good stories and cheered me up. But uh, yeah, just sad. Everybody's going to grieve different. I mean, there's going to be fans that grieve their way and his family that grieves another. I'm a guy, you know, I never had the opportunity to meet him and I wish I did because he changed a lot of people's lives. He did a lot for the city and a lot of causes. And I like the way they're, that people are celebrating his life, right? Like he had a life that he lived to the fullest and had a lot of opportunities that a lot of like 
even like myself or you or Clay never had. And you talk about a guy that busted his butt all the time in the locker room and just everyday life. And that, that was him. And I, I love the way that Edmonton's kind of uh, getting behind it and celebrating with all the stories. If you heard like uh, the Gregor show, like they went extra long, right? Yeah. Bandy, your thoughts on the sad news this week? Yeah, awful. I mean, he's a legend, Edmontonian. The work he did with the Eskimos, the Oilers. 2020 can fuck off, if you ask me. All this shit happening. Sure can. But here's what you do. Whoever's in charge, city council, any of that shit, you name 104th Ave, you name whatever, the community rink, the Commonwealth Community Center, and you, you don't hold polls, you don't see what Albertans or Edmontonians want, you do it. You name something or a couple things after him because what he did for not only our city, but for, you know, we talked last podcast with, with that, you know, with Lolly and, and Harmon about inclusion and how he brought that inclusion in people with disabilities side, right? It's just what he did for them, for Edmontonians in general, it, it needs to be recognized in a long-term effect. I think Gretzky said it. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it's 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 kind of something that we might be talking over each other here just to get some points across. But I'm with you. I want a banner up this year. I want a statue up yep. right next to Wayne's. Let's get it done. There should be exactly what you said. I don't want no polls. I don't want any voting. Get it done. It's the right thing to do. Oh, and the Euler goal song? Or their wind song, Better Damn Well Be La Bamba. Yeah. Yes. From the sounds of it, Bob had Kevin Lowe on Monday. And at the end of that interview, Kevin Lowe had talked about that, uh, you know, Bob Nicholson is already kicking and moving tires and things are in the roll as we speak on what we're doing. They, they're talking to all the former captains and I believe Connor McDavid on what they can do and all those ideas that you guys just brought up. And you know, I'm not, I'm not the biggest Oilers fan. And as people know, I'm a Leaf fan. But if you're from Edmonton and you you didn't need to meet Joey Moss to love Joey Moss. And uh, he, he definitely gave everyone, you know, at that on that organization for the Oilers and, and the Eskimos, huge, huge love whenever something happened. And George Rock touched on that today. Every time George said that there's something happened, a fight or something, Joey's the first person there. And you could talk to every, all the players that came through. They're talking about everything that Joey would do when they would bring Joey in. He just, you know, everyone loved him. Every he just would welcome you with open arms. All right, Rapper. So, what, what what was your thoughts on this case, this situation that happened with the Arizona Coyotes and Mitchell Miller? Where, where do you stand on this? Obviously, today the news came out that the Coyotes pretty much walked away from him, and they uh, rescinded that pick and. He's no longer part of the organization. Uh, where do you stand on this? Where's your big points here on it? Good, good for Arizona, right? I mean, we were just talking about, you know, this kind of stuff with um, Harmon and, and Lolly about bullying and, and racism and things like that. And finally, you know, you got an organization that's taken a stand. And I think they did the right thing. And, it's about time somebody stood up. Yeah. Um, well, they ha- you have no choice. When this comes public like that, we're, we're in a different world now. 
bottom line is if it happened the one time you can say maybe, okay, he learned from his mistakes, but he hasn't apologized. Dude, he, it happened for years, Clay. He, ha- that's not a one-time mistake. No, I know. It went on for two years after the incident. Yeah, too. that's what I'm getting at, Trev. All right, sorry. Go on. Like, it, it just, yeah, it, it continued happening. And A, he never apologized for it, which is bullshit. So as far as I'm concerned, if I'm in, the, if he's going to my school, he's kicked off the team at the very least. Means, you know, everybody still has a right to an education. But as far as what Arizona did, good. Good on him. I think there's going to be some looking inside the organization because from what I've been told, his agent reached out to pretty much all 31 teams, told them about the situation. As more information came out today, that agent didn't give, from the sounds of it, didn't give all the correct information. So the Coyotes did some more digging in the last two days. And then this morning they had spoken to Myers Crothers' family about what had happened and then within an hour to two after that conversation happened, the Coyotes released uh, that statement that they had released today on parting ways with that with the player. I mean, back it up. He played World Juniors, correct? Team USA? He's a part of the, the U.S. national program. Off the top of my head, Rupper, I don't know if he played last year in the tournament, but he has played in tournaments with Team USA before because obviously this has happened. This happened four years ago. Yeah, yeah. So, so... You know, everybody's pointing fingers at Arizona. Like, what about, and I'm not slagging USA Hockey, but did they do their homework? Because this was going on for years. We're not talking about one a one incident where a kid's being, you know, maybe he's got a little peer pressure with his buddies and picking on a kid, right? This This happened for a long time. It happened for years. And it was the same kid. So I, I think this has to go back to some USA Hockey to... The school he was going to, this should have been addressed years and years ago, right? Not just swept under the rug because the kid can play hockey. Yeah, no, that's that's true. There's obviously going to be, a. it sounds like, in a full investigation. They'll have to do something on the part of USA Hockey to see where the ball dropped there. The fact that, from what I read, he was a highly touted player and he obviously fell to the fourth round. And a number of teams kind of cringed when, they, when that came across the Zoom and saw you know, at the draft that he got, he, he got selected because a lot of teams had him right off the draft board. Once they were made aware of the situation, I'm sure every team does their own due diligence on finding out pretty much everything about a player, but uh, it's worth noting that this is obviously not a good thing. And the fact that the biggest, my biggest problem is that he did not apologize and it's been about four years and he still yeah. has not apologized. That's where yeah. the problem lies. It's that's obviously what he had done and other kids have done because he was convicted and all that. He was charged for this incident that he did, but the fact that he hasn't apologized and now you come out and apologize, what does that really mean now? It means nothing. Yeah. You know, and a few days ago, Arizona backed him. They're like, we were going to make him better and he's going to be a part of a bigger thing with us. So now it's all different now where, you know, they were able to get some more information. Obviously, the mother had wrote a, a note and a letter, obviously, and that was made public and that was put on social media yesterday. And then, Arizona kind of, you know, did their own investigation. They talked to the family and then the, the decision has been made. So I'd be surprised if Miller plays in USA developed hockey because I, I would say US hockey, this is huge. Obviously, in the day and age we live in now, I don't know if any NHL team takes him. You know, that'd be surprising from the sounds of it. 
But uh, I'm all for second chances, Rupper. I don't know where you stand on that, but you got to earn your second chances if you're not giving them. No, no, no. I mean, you know what? Just the fact that he's not apologizing to me speaks volumes. I don't think he thinks he probably done anything wrong, to be quite honest with you. Yeah. I got two kids, right? They say sorry all the time. Do they mean it? Probably not all the time, right? So listen, if he was really sympathetic and I can't speak for him, I'm not in his shoes, he would apologize the second that happened. Actually, he wouldn't even have done it, right? Yeah. Let's just take it to there. Who does something like that? Yeah, no, it's it's bad. Can't have that. You know, shifting gears, Rupper, with with uh, free agency coming around, I know this wasn't something we were going to talk about. I just wanted to hit on it real quick. Are you surprised a guy like Mike Hoffman is still out there and no one signed him yet? Yeah, to be quite honest with you, that guy puts pucks in the net. So, and I don't know the whole story with what happened in Ottawa. It was something about, was it his wife or girlfriend and, and Carlson's wife at the time? Is that is that the story? Yeah. I think they're each other's wives now. They're obviously married now, but they're that kind of. I I think it like I haven't really heard anything since you know both guys kind of left that organization. I don't know what ever happened with that. To be honest, maybe other people know, but I have no. But I wasn't like I was. Yeah, I wasn't either. I just I and I don't want to speculate on it because it's not like I you know read the Coles notes version about it. But from what I heard, half of the people were saying it was it was Hoffman, and then later. I, I started hearing stuff that it was maybe her, Carlson's wife. I don't know. Like I said, I don't want to go there, but I don't know if that has something to do with it and what's going on now in, in the world. But that's one of the biggest shockers too, because man, he would look good in, in copper and blue. Like literally because he scores goals. Like what did he have last year in Florida? I think around 30 um, or so. He's the uh, goals. Yeah. Like he puts up, Tons of goals. Obviously, he's like, uh, you know, he's gotten, yeah, sorry, yeah, 29 last year, 36, 22, 26, 29, 27. Like, since he's been in the NHL, he's pretty much around that, like, 28 to 29. You know, he had 30, 36 a uh, few years back. But, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. I, I'm shocked. But he's only 30 years old. Yeah, he's exactly 30. He's going to be uh, 31 in November. But uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens for sure. It's gonna be, it's gonna be interesting. I, I'm hoping for his sake. Like you know, his agents doesn't seem too 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 worried about it. So we'll see what happens on that front. But it's gonna be a something to watch for. Like he's out there still, and and then you got Anthony Duclair still out there, and he is representing himself, and he's not even signed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe it has something to do with when are we even starting. When is the NHL even starting up, right? Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, so we have Vernon Fiddler coming on today. And the interview that's going to follow Vernon Fiddler's interview is going to be Lolly and Harmon B. Uh, Lolly's the founder of Apna Hockey. That interview is uh, was good. It was, uh, it was needed. And I, I was very happy with the interview. So are you guys. So that interview is going to follow this Vernon Fiddler interview up. Uh, any quick thoughts, Dandy, on that interview that we had? Enlightening. I learned a lot more. You know, I mean, uh, you, you always thought you knew the other side, and it was it was it was good to hear the other side of what people go through nowadays. So, yeah, yeah, it was it was a good interview. Rupper? 
Yeah, I'm fortunate enough to be with Harm five out of seven days. Our sons play hockey together. That was the first time I met Lolly. Let me let me guess. They play in the HSL? Yeah, HSL. Not a big deal. For the Caps and for Saints Pro, give them a little plug. They uh, opened my eyes and, and I talked to a few of the, the hockey parents the next day just to let them know what we did. And like I told them, and I and like I told Harmon and Lolly, like I almost felt apologetic because I think I think a lot of us are still naive to the fact that it's 2020 and that kind of stuff is still going on. Yeah, it's not that I want to sweep it under the rug or that I don't know about it. It's like because I am not one of those people that has ever been racist like that or done anything like that. It's it's just that I don't believe that that's happening. Right. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, and that's what I was getting at. Being on the other side, you know, it, you hear about it and, oh yeah, it happens. But then hearing it and really, when you, when you get on this platform, as opposed to Twitter and, and Instagram and everything else where we get our information from, but when you get on a platform like this, where you're actually having a conversation with somebody about a real life topic like that, it really, it really hits home. And it really, really makes you think like, there are horrible and disgusting people out there that think like that. Let's get to uh, what's bugging Rupper. You got about nine minutes. So what is bugging Rupper? <laughs> First of all, I'm in a rotten mood because of my back. Okay. So this is going to really add to the situation. Um, but we've been talking about it now uh, on a couple podcasts and, and with tonight. Just about, you know, the inclusion and, and people's opinions and social media and bullying. And it's, it's just becoming such a problem in my life to even go on Twitter. Like, I used to wake up in the morning and I used to be like, the first thing I did is I'd get on Twitter and just check out thing, how, what things were going on. Who, who biz nasty was was um, making fun of, and 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 that's the a different thing is with him is he was just he's poking fun, right? He he's using his celebrity like he used to let people carve him up all the time. Look at the guy with the big nose, right? Look at the guy that never played, and he'd make fun of himself for that. But now Twitter's gone to such another level that everybody with an opinion is not even allowed to have an opinion. Now, if you go into something and read the comments, it, it's, it's so bad. It, it just, it's so hateful. People are so hateful. Now it's so political. Everybody's an expert in sports. Everybody's an expert in everything now. And case in point, I mean, Josh, we, we're all here and we're on a chat and Josh sends us a thing. He's like, look at this clown. I don't even know what his, his like B H E. Uh, troll right there it says it says right there troll that that's a red flag for me so josh <laughs> I, I i i i go on and i see this guy's twitter stuff and this guy is following ball hockey in edmonton and carving people up and making fun of people calling people out behind a handle first of all he's got 80 followers second of all he's hiding behind a, 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 a handle. So I, I respond to him. I go, listen, I, and I shouldn't have maybe. Right. But that's just me. I wear my heart on my sleeve. Okay. So 
I respond to them. I go, listen, I have a platform where you can come on. And if you feel like venting to us, you can vent, right? Whoa, if I wanted to listen to a shitty podcast, I'd go to, I'd go to kindergarten. And I just was like, pardon? I go, bud, you're hiding behind a name. I'm telling you, if you got something to say to somebody's face, come on to our podcast and say it directly to our face. I don't have a problem with that. We'll sit here and talk about it all day. I'm not going to hate you for your opinion. Mike Tyson said it best. He's like, the, the problem with the, the world today is that I can't walk up to somebody and punch them in the face for saying something stupid. But on social media now, I don't even know if that's the exact quote. It's something that, something like that, correct? Now on social media, yeah, it was if, if Josh has an opinion or you have an opinion, you're going to get ridiculed for that opinion instead of sit backing up and saying, okay, that's Josh's opinion or that's Clay's opinion. And Josh can't just go up and punch this guy in the mouth anymore. And God damn it, I'd want to punch... I can't even do it anymore, man. I'm, I've never wanted to leave a platform more in my life than Twitter because it's painful to go on there these days. I, it, it's, it's absolutely painful. I, I'm not even having fun on it anymore, right? A lot of people aren't. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're jumping off and you even talk to some of the top media guys. They're just there because it's work and that's it. They only go on when they got to tweet out something for work like a lineup change or an injury or a trade or a signing other than that they're like staying very far away from it we're in a different world we live in now and i uh yeah i i, I understand where i come from because i'm not gonna say i i sit here and and hold uh, a perfect record <laughs> like i've done some shit in my life that, <laughs> that i'm not proud of and we all have yeah but i've always felt that if you've done something, you man up to it and you own up to it and you come out and you apologize. And, and I think I've done that pretty good. Uh, yeah, I just, I just find it interesting that they got to take a shot, but, uh, anyways, we'll finish up on that because Vernon Fiddler's jumping on now. <laughs> the two months podcast is sponsored by Puckpedia, the ultimate source for hockey fans and pros, including the NHL salary cap information, basics, and advanced stats. History and news feeds, home of the agent leaderboard. Check out Puckpedia's new feature called My Puckpedia GM Mode. It is now here. It's your own personal salary cap site, a sandbox environment to make transactions, trades, and how they impact any or all NHL teams. Be a GM and have the entire site updated with your transactions. Follow Puckpedia at puckpedia.com or on Twitter at Puckpedia. <laughs> all right, our next guest. Played 877 games in the NHL for four teams. He's also a winner of the Calder Cup with the Milwaukee Abros, and he's a, an assistant coach with the Kona Rockets. Picked up on the fly by Subban. Subban's pass just a little bit off the mark. Centered out in front. Fiddler scores! Vernon Fiddler tips it right in front of Jake Allen and gives Nashville the lead right back. The former Fred, here he comes to keep the game moving. He fell, he works in, he scores! That's a new move. That is the new move. Bozak got back to make a play. Now it's taken back by Jason Amaris. For Fiddler, backhand to score! Oh my! From that angle on the backhand, Bert Fiddler has given the Stars a 2-1 to lead. Fids, how's it going? Good. Thanks for having me on the show, guys. Oh, we appreciate it. We appreciate it. We're uh, 
it's a huge get for us in our opinion. So as we're just getting started, as you said to me too, it's like, it's crazy that two random guys can just start a podcast at knees nuts. And so <laughs> too much. Yeah. The two months are rougher in fucking clay. So, <laughs> but, uh, it's uh, good to see you. Good to talk to you again, buddy. Yeah. It's been a long time. Yeah. So how are things going and uh, what are you up to right now? Yeah, you know what? Uh, with the crazy times with this pandemic, just you know, it's actually been a pretty good time to reconnect with the family, and um, you know, we've been trying to make as many trips in Canada as we can, keep ourselves busy. Uh, we remodeled our house this summer, and um, you know, now with school starting up, the kids are back in school. My son's going to the academy in Penticton, so I'm back and forth there three times a week, helping out with that. Um, but like like most people, pretty bored and there's you know not a whole bunch to do. You try to isolate from big groups of people and uh, you know do your part to keep uh, everybody safe and healthy. Yeah, no, exactly. It's uh, it's crazy times we live in right now. But uh, how active are you and how active are the kids right now? Uh, are you guys on the ice quite often? Yeah, we actually are. They're uh, they're on the ice for an hour and fifteen minutes every day throughout the day. They go to school from eight thirty to twelve thirty. And then it's the rest of the day's hockey, uh, you know, shooting skills, workout, ice, stuff like that. So I drive down, it's 45 minutes away. So I drive down three times a week and help out and try to help out where I have skills. Like, oh, face off. Yeah. Face offs. <laughs> pumping the puck out. I can dump it into that trapezoid like fucking nobody else. Made <laughs> a living at that. But yeah, I, I just, I enjoy it. I love working with the kids. And, um, you know, it, we, we got some, some top, most top kids from BC here. So, it, you know, you're, I'm just amazed at the talent level that uh, these kids have now. But when you have a coach for everything, uh, it definitely helps. It's not like we used to have, we used to learn from the, from the older guys out the outdoor rink. Now these guys have coaches for everything. So, you know, the skill level is a lot higher than, than when I was playing at that level. No though. Well, let's talk about your minor hockey. Where did you grow up? What did, where did you play? Who were some of your coaches that you remember from back? Yeah, I will. I grew up in, in Edmonton, South Edmonton and Millwoods. Um, uh, played, started playing hockey at, with the Millwoods. Uh, organization Millwoods minor hockey and uh, worked my way up to Southside Athletic Club played uh, one year of Bantam double a one year of Bantam triple a and then I played one year of midget triple a for Ben Dorvell was my one of my favorite <laughs> coaches I had there I think you guys may have had him at yeah. one point in your career yeah, he caught me he caught me yeah. that doesn't surprise Smart me man. <laughs> yeah uh you know I had a couple really good coaches I had uh Dan Bollmeister, I had uh, Cam Connor was a good coach, uh, and then you know with with Southside Athletic Club, they always had it had good coaches. They had uh, they always bring in the U of A guys, and uh, we had uh, Paul Strand. I don't know if you remember that by that name. Yeah, absolutely. He, he was really good, and you know he's helping us like teach us the little tricks. And uh, but those guys were very instrumental in in me developing and getting better every year. And um, obviously, it led to the WHL and uh, NHL, a pretty good NHL career. Well, listen, one of the reasons why, when, when I joined this podcast was I wanted the first name I wanted to get you on. I, a, I wanted to keep it local, but B your stories of how you got to the NHL are unbelievable, dude. Yeah. So you, you finished Southside, 
you got AJ teams looking at you? Do you have colleagues? Like, do you, do you know where you're going? How do you yeah, get to so, Kelowna? So what happened was, um, you know, I started, you know, I was a little bit of a late bloomer. I was never the best kid growing up in minor hockey. I was, you know, I was always average, um, you know, kind of that guy that was maybe the last guy to make teams and um, with good coaching and, you know, just staying positive and, and trying to work my hardest every night. I, I started to get a little bit better in, in my second year Bantam. And I remember uh, Ben Dorvell was actually my coach that year for Bantam AAA that year. And he said, you know, you could, you could play junior hockey. And he, and he just gave me that belief. And then we went to uh, the next year I went to midget AAA and made his team. And it was the same thing. He's like, you know, just cause you're not drafted and listed by these teams. Like, you know, you're, 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 you're turning into quite a player. And I was, you know, at some, at some points I didn't believe him. Like, you know, I just thought he was, you know, blowing smoke up my ass. But uh, at the end of that year, we had a really good run with the midget AAA group. And I just started getting lots of offers. I got um, carded by the Crusaders. Um, and then I have a bunch of family out in Saskatchewan and the humble Broncos came to me and said, well, we're going to offer you a spot on our team. So I was really stuck in between where I wanted to go. And I still had a, I was still going to Kelowna's camp because I had gone the year before at Bantam AAA year. And uh, it, it just like worked out. So I ended up going to Humboldt. I started the season there, started school, you know, got sent on the Greyhound bus with a $50 bill in my pocket and basically <laughs> good luck. Call us if you need anything. And I ended up, you know, having a pretty good preseason there. and. The Rockets yeah. were like, well, we still want you to come to our camp. So Bob Beatty was the coach there. You know, he's a, he's a well-known coach in the junior ranks. And he, he said to me, he goes, you know, if you go to Kelowna, you ain't coming back. And I kind of looked at him funny and I was like, I don't, I don't think I'm going to make that team. But I ended up going there as a walk-on and, and making the team. Awesome. And I remember that the coach, Peter Anhold, after like third, fourth day in, he said to me, he goes, you need to get your transcripts from high school. And I didn't think anything of it. And when they made the final cuts, the first day of school, he's like, where's your trans transcripts? I'm like, fuck, I got to be honest with you. I really didn't think I was going to make it. So I didn't get them. <laughs> so we had to phone mom and, you know, she got all that stuff worked out. And I just ended up, uh, you know, sticking around there and, and getting better and better every year. And then um, Bruce Hamilton, my 20 year old year, I really had nothing going on. Like I, I was actually going to come back and play for, for U of A um, after my 20 year old year. And Bruce said to me, I'm going to trade you back. To, I'm going to trade you closer to home. So your mom and dad can, you know, catch more games. And I think it'd just be a better fit. And uh, I just, I, I blew up. I just, I, I think I scored 40 some goals that year. And at the end of the year, it was like, I had three or four offers to go, go to, to camps and try out. And, uh, ended up going to Minnesota Wilds camp and uh, I had a really good camp. I played a couple preseason games, which was like my NHL. I thought that that was going to be it. <laughs> and uh, at the end of it, they, they said to me, they're like, well, we, we want to offer you a contract, but we're sending you to Louisiana in the East coast hockey league. And my agent at the time was like, no, we're not going to take this. And my parents were going ballistic. They're like, you're taking that NHL deal. And I, I was like, <laughs> I know. I, I don't know what to tell this guy, mom. I'm like, like, w what should we do here? And my agent, we had a big call and he just told me, he said, trust me. He goes, we go to the American hockey league. 
he's like, you'll be a free agent. You can go fucking anywhere you want. It's going to work out. Trust me. So we trusted him. And at the time I was like, it was fucking nuts. Like we were, you know, Rich Sutter was their, their head scout. And he was, he was like, you guys got to take this deal. You're listening to the wrong person, blah, blah, blah. We ended up trusting him and they sent me to, I got a deal for 425 bucks a week in Roanoke, Virginia. And it was, I was two days out of not taking the the contract. And uh, they said, you got to drive here or get here some way. And I was like, my dad was like, well, I'll just drive. And I'm like, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, you know, do this on my own. And my girlfriend, my wife now, she's like, well, I'll come with you. And we fucking drove to Virginia. We go to Roanoke, Virginia. And I, and I got there and I phoned home and I'm like, this ain't going to work. I'm like, we were in like, no one had teeth fucking, it was crazy. Like we, we, we couldn't find any restaurants. The only restaurant that was decent where we were staying and where we were told to stay at the hotel, there was a Hooters. So me and my wife or my girlfriend at the time ate at Hooters for like four nights in a row. And I remember talking to uh, Rob Dom at, at U of A and I'm like, listen, I'm fucking coming back. You just got to give me a week. Like I'm coming back. <laughs> And, uh, we got playing and it was, it was unreal. Like the guys were unreal. Like, I mean, we, we'd get on these buses and they all had like these sleeper buses. And these guys were like, like professional minor leaguers, like smoking at the back of the bus. They have like (laughs) $51 bills playing cards. Like it was fun. I got my own apartment and it was all furnished. They fucking put booster club, put food in there for you. Like you didn't do nothing. Right. And I, I actually started to like it. And the coach like was just playing the shit out of me. And I was, I, I, I was putting up lots of points and he goes, he told me, he said, you're not going to be here long. He goes, I know this is a shitty place, but he won't, he's like, you won't be here long. I promise you'll be gone by Christmas. Again, I'm like, this guy's either blowing smoke up my ass or he sees something that I don't. And it, it, it happened. I got, I got, uh, Chicago sign me for the rest of that year. So I went up to Chicago's farm team, which was Norfolk, Virginia, which was a beautiful place right on the ocean, Virginia Beach. And finished out that year, and then I had four or five offers from for NHL entry level contracts. So there, there started the NHL, uh, my NHL journey. Exactly. Yeah. So one of the, I wanted to ask you before we move on to some other questions. Um, so Chicklets, you might have heard the Jason Demers prank story. Yeah, he got. I I got to hear your version of this. Yeah, he told that story wrong. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know why he told it that way, but he 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 knew that wasn't the right story. So we were in Colorado, and we had we had been fucking shit in the bed, and Lindy Ruff was a new coach, and we had traded for. This is when you're in Dallas, right? Yeah, this is in Dallas. Yeah. So Lindy Ruff had just taken over the team, and. We just came out of the gate really slow. Like we had lost like seven to 10 games and we just laid an egg in Colorado. And I remember it was, it was uh, Ray Whitney and someone else was like, you know what boys, we need a night out. And we were having our rookie party the next night in Toronto. So we were flying to Toronto the next morning, having a day off with our rookie party. So we start, we thought we'd start a rookie party the night before. So we all just went out and just got fucking blitzed, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, like we were partying, like we won the cup. Yeah. And 
So we wake up in the morning and, you know, we get to the bus and we get to the plane and everyone just out cold on the plane. Everyone's windows are closed and the lights are off and the curtains are all shut. And me and I can't sleep on a plane to save my life. So I'm sitting there and I, I was whatever playing a game on my iPad or whatever. And Demers goes, you, and he's brand new to our team. Right. And he, he nicknamed himself self self-proclaimed nickname, the daddy. So I, I'm calling him daddy. Right. I'm like, daddy, like, He's like, he's like, he, you play crib. I go, yeah, I play crib. I'll fucking play in crib. He goes, right, let's play a game. So we turn on our two lights at the card table. And I just joking around. It's like nine o'clock in the morning. It might not even have been nine. I think it was earlier because they thought if they sent the plane earlier, no one would go out, but we all did. And I said, well, I said, you can't play a game of crib without a beer and clam. So he's like, oh, fuck. And he's a drinker, right? Like he just, anything to booze, this guy will booze. So. I said, well, fuck, let's, so the stewardess walked by and I, I grabbed her. I said, Hey, you grab us two, uh, can you grab us two beers and two sides of clam? And I said, don't, don't show the management. I said, like, get it from, can you hide it somewhere? Oh yeah, yeah, fuck for sure. So, and I'm, I'm facing the front of the plane so I can see like the management section and it's through the curtain. Right. So I'm just kind of, I can see just enough where they're, they're on their computers and the general manager, Jim Neal and coach Lindy are talking and, this stupid fucking stewardess gets two beers, two clams, and walks by them with a on a platter, and and they and I can see them just turn and look like, yeah. uh, they're looking like who the fuck ordered two beers? So she brings it to us, and Demers just never stops talking. Right, like he's always talking. He's got a deck of cards and he's fucking shuffling them and he's. He's not even looking at me. He's just shuffling and he's talking about, he's like, fuck, I thought I got traded to a good team and, you know, we're losing all these games. So now I can see the management. They're fucking talking. So the stewardess goes back and you could tell Lindy was like, and this stewardess was a rookie stewardess. All the other ones are veterans. So they would have known not to go buy them with the beers, but it was this young girl. And she, uh, she's like, she said, what, what seat did that go to? And she's told him, you know, 24 a or whatever. And so all of a sudden I see Lindy coming back and he, like our plane was a seven, seven. So he was way at the front. So he had like a walk, like he had to, like, it was like a walk back, right? Like it's like about probably like a 20 second walk back. So I'm, I'm like, daddy, I go, daddy, I said, put that beard out. And he's just shuffling the fucking cards, right? He's just, and he won't listen. I go, daddy, I go fucking shut the fuck, shut, shut your light off and put that beer away. And so I shut my, I shut my light off. I put my beer back here and I just went like this. Like I was pretending to sleep thinking that he would fucking catch on. Well, Lindy's there. He goes, Jason. Yep. He's like, Oh, he's like, He's like, is that what you did in San Jose is drink beer at eight in the morning? And he's like, well, oh, no. And he looks at me, my light's off and I'm sleeping. So it looks like he's drinking beers by himself. <laughs> so then uh, we, we landed at whatever. And, you know, Lindy's a really good guy. And at, at the end of it, the next, de next day, we're well, after the day off, we have a morning skate two days later. And Lindy, you know, he's skating around and he skates up to me and he goes, hey. And he's laughing. He goes. Just want to know, was that you that ordered the beers with the MERS? And I go, I said, yeah, we were we were going to have a beer and clam. And he goes, he he's like, you know, he was laughing about it. And he goes, oh, I said, fuck, I was, I was fucking hot. He goes, I didn't care, but I, I had to show some emotion in front of the manager because, you know, 
I didn't want you guys boozing on the plane. I thought it was a bad, bad timing. He goes, you got to be smarter than that. And I said, yeah, yeah. So we were laughing. So Jason thought like it was a big fucking, like we were trying to fucking pull a prank on him, but it actually wasn't like he was just too stupid to put the beer, beer down and shut his light up. <laughs> my buddy, uh, my buddy Petro played with them in Florida. So oh, he was, yeah. <laughs> he's an interesting guy to the stories you hear. Um, that's awesome. He's uh it's good times. You had a good team in Dallas there. You guys had some some really good players there. You want to speak on that a bit? Yeah, we you know what? We we right from Joel New when Joel Newendike signed me out of free agency, we had a really good good core group there. That was the that, I think that was the last year they kind of kept that group together and you know, we won the Central Division the last year and we we really had a good group there. We had, you know, we had veteran guys like Ray Whitney and Sean Horkoff and you know, we had, you know, Trevor Daly on the back end, Steve Ott. Like, we had some really good guys, and we, we just, you know, we, we in that central division, it was just such, such a tough division to win in the playoffs, especially, you know, against teams like St. Louis and Chicago. And we just, we couldn't get past that second round, but, you know, we had we had decent goaltending. It probably let us down the most in the playoffs with, you know, injuries and stuff like that. But a really good group of guys that, you know, we all kind of, you know, turn, turn the corner there in Dallas and rebuilt that team with Joe. And then, uh, Jim Neal took over. And, uh, after that last year, he just kind of blew it up to kind of come back to where you kind of started, obviously with the predators organization, uh, speak on the Calder cup that you won in 2004. You had some good characters like Scotty Upshaw on that team too. When you guys won, uh, how special was that to win that championship? Yeah, it really was. It was, um, we, we had a, we had all kind of been up and down all, all that year with the NHL. And, um, uh, you know, we, our coach was Claude Noel and Todd Richards, who just won the Stanley cup with Tampa as assistant coach, really good coaching staff. And, you know, they, they surrounded us uh, young guys that they had just signed with, uh, like Dar- Darren Hadar, Simone Gamash, uh, myself, Greg Zan and Scotty Upshaw, Jordan Tutu. They surrounded us with really good veteran guys like Brad Tiley and Wyatt Smith. Curtis Murphy, Wade Flaherty was our goalie. Um, they really wanted to build a winning culture there. And, you know, being there with those older guys and us finishing the year with Nashville and then getting sent down to, to play in the, in the playoffs with Milwaukee, I think that, um, that that playoff run taught us a lot what it was going to take to win and sacrifice for each other. And uh, a lot of us actually ended up going up after after that next year, after the lockout the following year and playing uh, full-time in the NHL. So, um, you know, we owe a lot to those older guys that taught us the right way and the right road to go down. How, uh, how interesting was it to live in Nashville? And obviously has such a good following, even with the country singers. Have you met a lot of country singers when you were there? Oh, yeah. It was, uh, you know what, from the day I got there, my first training camp as uh, you know a rookie, and they always have they they have a they have a great uh, support staff there. They keep they 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 keep all the country singers involved, and you know every game they have you know different labels at the game, whether it's you know with different you know Dirks Bentley and Vince Gill, um, you know, and then when I was young, when I was in my younger days, it was you know like the Garth Brookses and. Um, George Strait and these kind of guys are constantly in the stands. Tim McGraw, Faith Hill, Trisha Yearwood. It didn't matter. It didn't matter where you looked. You saw, you know, and they had the seats on the glass for them. So it was, it was definitely fun and gave the team a spark when those, those, 
rock stars were sitting front row watching you. Nice, nice. That's uh, an interesting. Do you still talk to some of those people that you've met during that time that you were there? Are you stay in contact with any of them? Yeah, I do. Actually, um, when when I was in my first stint there, uh, the first seven years, we we lived out in an area called Brentwood, and that's where all the the country stars lived. It was uh, you know like a, probably a twenty five minute ride out north outside the city and they all lived there so we all connected you know we were you know the predators and you know they 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 followed us we followed them they'd invite us to all their concerts and one of my favorites is dirk bentley he's uh still a good friend of mine he you know we we'd go to his shows when they're when he'd play at like a 2500 gig show uh and now to go to his shows he invites us to his shows he's playing in front of thirty thousand people uh really good guy he's a he's a at, like just loves hockey he plays himself can't skate worth a lick but uh we go and play on his team in the summer and play goalie and go for beers after and but really solid dude nice I he just posted he just posted some on instagram he was riding his bike to his kids uh, oh yeah he's, he's got, he's got he's got all his kids in in hockey and stuff and it's crazy yeah. because he'll text you and be like what kind of skate should i get you know like he has no <laughs> fucking clue like he, he's He's looking for like sticks and he doesn't have any clue, yeah. right? So it's it's funny to, to listen, but he just loves it. And then when I went back there, he was uh, you know, he was obviously one of the biggest guys in town by then and he was at every game. Like they were singing they, they would sing our national anthems and then, you know, Luke Bryan and these guys would be down in the dressing room before the game, right? Like it was like they have no clue what's going on, the intensity that's going on in the playoffs, but they're down there like shooting the shit, grabbing our sticks and but uh, it was pretty cool to have those all those stars around. Uh, and then you had two years with the uh, Coyotes organization. Speak on that. Obviously, playing with a guy like Shane Dolan and and a lot of good players there too. Uh, how how was that experience to play with the uh, Coyotes? Yeah, that was fun too. It was uh, you know coming from Nashville. I, it was my first time going to free agency. I think I was twenty seven. Um, and you know, I, I, I wanted a place to play where I was going to play a few more minutes and, you know, gain a few more responsibilities and, and, and Arizona gave me that they, you know, right away you were, you know, you're playing like 15, 16, 17 minutes instead of, you know, 11 or 12. So it was, it was a really good fit for me to go in there. We, we didn't have a big name team. So, you know, we had more of a grinder team where we had to win games, one, nothing, two, one, Dave Tippett was the coach and. Uh, outstanding coach still to this day one of my favorite coaches because he's just very honest guy that um he he just didn't care what what your name was on the back of your jersey he just he all he cared was is you worked hard and and you're a team first kind of guy and uh, he got the most out of our team we ended up you know having two good teams there and making the playoffs both both years nice i seen uh sorry i i seen I dabbled into hockey wives a little bit in the last couple of years, especially in this lockdown. I don't know. I'd wake up early and be farting around the tube and I just see hockey wives and a story, just what you say with tip is that he was um, right. When Ray Whitney was done with Arizona, I guess he still like tip used to come over all the time to his house and just BS with them and have dinner with him and his wife. And, I hear that from a numerous people that, that he's such a good players coach that he still remains friends with a lot of those guys after. So that like, I'm lucky to have this guy now in Edmonton, right? As a fan. Well, he's uh he's, he's a brilliant guy. He, he's uh he's real methodical on everything he does. Like he's a really neat guy. Like he builds, rebuilds bikes and rebuilds cars and loves to fish. Like he's, 
he can really relate to the players. Like a lot of us are like that, you know, we're blue collared kids that came from nothing and, you know, come from these prairie, prairie towns. And, um, you know, he, he's, he's just one of those guys that could find a way to get the most out of every guy individually. And he'd come around the room and you could see him going from guy to guy. He'd never look at you in the eye. He'd always be looking off. Like he'd be leaning against a wall and he'd just tell you what you had to do. And that's what I loved about him. He never, you know, bullshitted around him. You know, you, you're doing great or he, he wouldn't ever lie to you. He'd just tell you straight up if you're, you know, if you're adding up minuses in the the, the pre two pre games, he'd say, listen, like the minuses are adding up. You guys got to be even or plus tonight. Like he was just, he just knew how to motivate you enough to keep you on your toes. And Edmonton is very lucky to have a guy like that for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's uh we're happy to have him here. And uh, obviously you're an Edmonton boy too. And, I kind of transitioned to Dallas and one of the famous incidents that's happened when you were there was the Kevin Bieksa angry face and how that's, how did that just start? And was there something leading up to it or is it just you? Cause you're the best chirper in my opinion in the NHL. Stars offside as Fiddler tried to move in with Nystrom trapped another whistle, 343 to go in the opening period. And El Andino is, Stressed as always. Yes, <laughs> getting a little chuckle out of that is the linesman and gets tangled up. The players in in front of they get a chuckle out of that as Fiddler and Don Henderson were all tied up. He's, come on, look at the people behind him. Elaine, cheer up! Come on, <laughs> he can't control himself. Oh. It's infectious. I, I need to ask him yes, about he, this. He's going to have to calm down. <laughs> Three twenty-two left. He probably wants to go to the dressing room. Either uh, that or a big bag of Doritos. No, <laughs> well, it was. Uh, you know what? Me and Bex have played uh, played against each other right from from the, the minute we touched the American League. We we always played against each other. He was in Manitoba. We were in Milwaukee, so we were in the you know the same same conference and just like fucking one thing after another. And it just seemed every time we played each other, we'd be at each other or hitting each other. And, you know, obviously I, I know he's a lot tougher than me, so I knew I couldn't get to him that way. So I knew I had to get under his skin and it didn't matter what game we were going, going into. I knew I, w- I wanted to be all over him because he was one of those guys that I could just get going, you know, with a look and warm up or, you know, say something and, oh, when he was sitting on the bench or, you know, I used to skate by him and be like, you're fucking going to be on the bench all night. And I knew he was, he was one of their top D man. So I knew he was playing, but it, it used to fire him up that I would just say that to him because he was just an easy guy to get fired up. And, and then we both went to the NHL and we, we still, we remained in the same conference and fucking playing each other. We play each other, you know, six, four, six times a year. And it was the same thing every fucking night. Like we, you know, shooting pucks at each other and, um, and I was out for dinner with a friend of mine before the game, Dan Hamius, the night before the game. And he goes, he told me, he goes, you know, if you guys were on the same team, you guys would be fucking the bestest of friends. And I said, no fucking chance. I said, I hate this guy so much. He said, no, I'm <laughs> telling you, he goes, you guys are the exact same guy. He goes, you guys would be fucking out for dinner every single night. And I said, fuck, I go, I said to Dan Hamius, I go, it's just his face. I go, he's always got this bitter beer face. And I go like, I just can't handle him. And he started laughing. He goes, I know the guys give it to him all the time. So 
he was at a face-off. He was, we were on in the offensive zone. He was on the, the wall and I was, I got kicked out of a face-off to go play on the right side. And there he is. And he just fucking hammers me on the top of my skate. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to go after him and hit him. And, you know, we're chasing the puck a little bit. And then the whistle went. And so then we went to our benches, whatever. And then the next shift I, I skated by the bench and he said something to me. And then that's when I, I gave him his face. Like, this is what I said, this is what you look like. And I kept saying, this is what you look like. And I kept doing that, but then they finally caught it on camera and Vigneault saw it. And I mean, he was just fucking killing himself. And then the two, there's two trainers that were in between the benches and they were kneeling down. They were laughing so hard because you know, that's what he looks like all the time. Like he looks like a caveman. Right. Yeah. And then it fucking hit the internet. And I mean, I got text message after text message and then Jamie Ben phoned me that night and he goes, buddy, what did you do to BX? I go, I, I don't know. Like I'm not a big internet guy or, you know, Twitter or Instagram. And he said, uh, he goes, man, this is all over Twitter. He goes like, it's blowing up with this face he did. So I got on there and looked and sure as shit, it was fucking all over the internet. It still is though, Vern. Oh, I know. And that's the thing. Like, like I, I was just farting around on, on, uh, YouTube today. And I, the first thing I just put Vern Fiddler and then it goes Vern Fiddler mocks Kevin BX. And that's the first thing that pops up. I yeah. mean, that's unbelievable to have something like that, you know, go so viral. I mean, holy Christ. <laughs> well, and, I, and I'm in BC now, right? So like BC people yeah, see yeah. it more than anybody in the world. Yeah. And so like, I'll be at the grocery store and like, I'll see people creeping up and being like, Hey, can you do that? Kevin BX thing. And it's like, fuck off. Like, no, I'm yeah, not doing yeah. that. I, I need corn on the cob. I need yeah. corn on the cob. Jeez. where's the you know, where's the softest shit tickets <laughs> you know what's hilarious is like you talk about playing and hating that guy and i bet you there's three of us sitting in this room that i didn't even play at that level and i hate him but now that right. i see him and i'm watching him on hockey night canada like i don't mind him like no. uh, it's a fresh voice and and he knows this stuff and he mixes in a little humor and still a little bit of his, his playing side to it. And, and it's actually refreshing to watch. And I can't even believe I'm saying that. No. I, and I'm the same way. Like people, you know, people are pretty tentative when they ask me like, Oh, what do you think of BX? I'm like, fuck, I think he's great. You know, he chirps the other analysts and, you know, they, <laughs> yeah. they all kind of gang up on him a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, he's, he's got that cocky edge, but then he gives his approach and in, in his, in his, in his, uh, the way he, you know, puts it across to the people watching. It's, it's very simple. So they understand it. And it's things that people that not like not hockey people would understand. So he's, he's a, he's a good educator that way. And I think he's done a great job so far. So I'm going to take over now for the last half, bud. And, and you and me go pretty back, you know, we used to, I know, I know we shared a condominium, like not the same household, but you guys backed into us. I, I grew up with your brother a lot, had a few beers with him. Um, so I, when we were setting this up, I said, Bosco, Clay, you guys kind of take the serious side. I'm going to try to take the lighter side of things. Though. And um, I think the, the, one of the things with the lighter side, huh? I think Fitz yeah. took over with the lighter side. <laughs> Go that, for that's it. That's going to be tough to beat. That's going to be <laughs> tough to beat. But I think um, you can. I, I, I know like one of the things I've been doing with the guys that are coming on here is one of my biggest uh, little segments is the biggest drill killer. So I want to know who, who in your career 
just blew drills up the most. Tell me Nashville. I want to hear Nashville. I want to hear Arizona. And I want to hear um, Dallas. Who was the biggest drill killers on those teams? <laughs> and New Jersey, too. He played New Jersey. Yeah, uh, I, wasn't New Jersey, in, I wasn't New in New Jersey very long, but uh, you know what? One of the biggest drill killers, and you guys, have, I'm sure, have heard of the name. He's a tough guy. Jeremy Jablonski. He was a, with us in Nashville a little bit, and he was he was a so tough, like a little sawed-off guy, like probably 250. Five eight, and he had to go first in every fucking drill. And he'd fuck the drill up, and the coach would blow it down, and he'd go back to the front of the line, and none of us wanted to say anything because he was so tough, right? And he'd go again, and he'd fuck the drill up, and the coach would tell him go to the back of the line, and he and he'd get right back to the front of the fucking line, and he and he'd he'd, he'd fucking all over again, right? And he'd go four or fives, and 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 the coach would say get to the fucking back of the line. No, 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 I got it but he was probably the worst fucking drill killer I ever played with. Um, in Nash, in, in, uh, Arizona, who would it have been? Fuck, uh, please say biz. Oh, biz nasty was a bad drill killer, but he was smart, <laughs> enough, he was smart enough to go. He, he, he was smart enough to go to, uh, he was smart enough to go to the back of the line after the first time. And, and he could, t- he could make fun of himself too. So, yeah. Um, in, in Phoenix, yeah, I probably I didn't even think of him. And I've actually chatted with him a couple of times over the last few months. But yeah, Biz was pretty bad. And then in Dallas, uh, fuck, we had some bad ones in Dallas. Uh, well, Jason Demers killed a lot of drills. Because <laughs> he'd he get talking, right? He couldn't focus long <laughs> enough at the board to see what was going on because he'd be talking to somebody. And, and he could fucking kill a drill with the best of them. And then... Uh, uh, who else? There's a couple other ones I was thinking of today. Oh, Scotty Upshaw was a bad fucking drill killer. He could, <laughs> he could kill a practice. He was too busy looking at himself in the in the glass, seeing how his hair looked that day. And but uh, yeah, there there's some bad ones. I, I love it. That that's the kind of stuff I like to hear about, especially when it's biz. Because I know you know I don't I'm not a I'm I don't listen to a lot of podcasts, but I know. Uh, him on chicklets that's one of his kind of things is he kind of busts guys for drill killing and to hear him be actually a drill killer is it's 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 sweet um so i i want to talk a little bit uh, like one of the things around edmonton when you come back home in the summer is you guys used to put on a, a charity golf tournament here at uh um one of the local golf courses um Jesus, it's right down the street from house. It's gone now. What the heck was that place? Pioneer Meadows. Like? Pioneer Meadows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Pioneer this Meadows. was like, we got it tipped. Um, we we. <laughs> the thing is, is like, so I used to hear about this tournament for like five years, and everybody. This was like the hottest ticket in Edmonton. It was like the Masters. You had to get invited to Vern's Golf Tournament. You had to get invited to. Vern's golf tournament so finally i got an invitation and i show up to this thing and i mean we could do literally another whole podcast about the antics that went on there and the people that were that i met and your brother and taylor and like it was awesome like let let me put it to you that way but you want to just speak about the charity that because that when i was there like the, the 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 extracurricular stuff that was great but for me what really touched me is, is the dinner after and, and you guys 
kind of all these guys coming together for a great charity. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, the idea came, uh, you know, when I, I started getting in the NHL as a regular, I said to my sister who still lives in Edmonton, I said, you know, I'd really like to get a, a charity tournament. Uh, I lost my sister at a young age to leukemia. Um, and she, you know, she died at a young age. I was a young kid. I was six years old. She was 11. And I just figured, you know, let's, let's put something together that, um, you know, we, we can do something in her memory and raise money for kids. And so we came up with the idea that we were, instead of raising money and writing a check to these, you know, to these nonprofit charities that, you know, you don't know where the money goes. I said, let's start a charity where we'll, we'll find families. And, you know, we all know people that have, are dealing with cancer, you know, especially young kids. And yeah. that, that, that's what our main focus was, was the young kids. We wanted to find kids and Basically, we, what we do is we we throw this big party and bring all these hockey people together and then our friends and family and, and raise money for it. So we what we did was uh, we had the charity golf tournament and then we'd find three or four families a year and we we'd send them to Disneyland. So we'd find like for instance one 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 young guy Caleb. He was from Kelowna and I knew his father from uh, baseball here and found out through word of mouth through a couple other friends that his son had terminal brain cancer and, you know, he, he was fighting for his life and maybe had two years, maybe had five years. So I said to my sister, this is what we're going to do. We're going to find these families and we're going to pay for everything for them to go to Disneyland and, and have like a week of just, just making memories, taking pictures and just try to forget about what's going on. And man, it just blew up. Like we had, like we couldn't even advertise it anymore because we, we, we just couldn't have en enough groups out there. Like we could have had two flights of groups. That's how many people. Yeah. Would, it just would have, you know, taken the, taken the, the whole meaning of it away of everybody. Yeah, being yeah. together. So yeah. And then we just started finding these families that, that, you know, like, you know, kids had cancer and we, we'd get them all set up at Disneyland at the resort in, in uh, Anaheim there. And we'd pay for everything all, all from the charity, all the money raised. And, I think we ended up raising just close to a million. It was, we did it for 10 years and we, we raised it just, just over a million bucks. And I think we sent close to 30 families to, to Disneyland where you know, Unbelievable. Some, some kids made, made it. And, you know, it's funny. I ran into the one young kid from here, Caleb, he ended up dying at the age of 12. This was probably seven, eight years ago. He passed away and I saw his sister and, you know, she was just as young. Like she was a year older than him. And, she came up in this girl in that golf town. She just gave me the biggest hug. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm like, what's going on here? And she goes, I don't know if you remember me, but I'm Caleb's sister. And I was like, Holy shit. Like you've grown up, like you're a young lady. Now you're working. And she goes, I just want to thank you guys for, for sending us. And she's like, I still have pictures of us in Disneyland going on roller coasters and everything. So, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's an awesome feeling that we got to help those kids out, but it was all the people that showed up and, and bought all the auction. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And then, and then that led to the FIDS kids in Dallas. I, I give 10 tickets away a game to the same thing. We give away tickets for, um, uh, kids to come to the game. They'd come after warm up and watch warm up from the bench. And then I'd meet and greet them after warm up and, you know, sign some jerseys and stuff for them. And, you know, their families would, would watch the game that night and get away from the hospital and just get away from what they were going through. And, and, and try to make memories with the ones that were going through the battle of cancer. Yeah. Giving back dude. And, and that's such, you know, 
it makes a guy like me so proud knowing that, you know, you came from Edmonton and, and kind of where you came from and, and want to give back so much to, to somebody. So that's going through something like that. Um, good, good job. Um, I, I want to end with two things and, and one's kind of a, a serious thing. Clay usually takes, and then one's going to be something that we had kind of a phone in special guest request to tell a story, but, The running theme lately is uh, we're trying to keep, you know, the podcast local with local guys that grew up here, you know, um, and, and the running theme has been, you know, we got these guys that, you know, maybe weren't the best in, in minor hockey or got overlooked, or maybe were too small or, you know, could be a many, many different things. What advice, Vern, do you have for kids, you know, growing up that, that maybe aren't playing at the triple A level that maybe aren't playing at the double A level because you were undrafted. I mean, your, your story in itself is such an inspiration for a lot of these kids that, you know, fortunately have to listen to this podcast that we coached. Uh, I'm sorry, fellas, but it's not like we're the tippets of the world, but what, what advice do you have, Vern? You know what? My, my biggest advice is, is you start hockey. And, and I think this is what's kind of like, I think a lot of like Canada's veered away from this is you play hockey for fun, right? Like you don't play hockey to go and, you know, impress the other parents. You're supposed to be there to have fun. And I think everybody, there's so much pressure on these young kids now that, you know, it's because of all these big contracts that everyone's signing and these parents spend all this money on these kids that, you know, these parents think that there's some kind of, there should be some kind of investment at the end of the day out of this and we've lost touch with why you actually play hockey. Why do you guys go play men's night? You play (laughs) men's night because it's fun. Right. And there's so much pressure. And I, I tell them, I tell my boys that I coach right now, if you're not having fun, then why the fuck are you playing hockey? Yeah. Because there's something out there that you could be having fun with. And yeah, I wasn't the best player, but every, every, like every coach I had made it fun to come to the rink. And if, if your coach is not doing that, then he's not doing his job. He shouldn't Absolutely. be teaching you. He shouldn't be yeah. teaching you how to, you know, yeah, at Bantam and Midget, you should probably be, be taught how to do a system or where you should be going off a of face-off. But my main thing I focus with as kids is let's have some fun on the ice. Like I want them to come back tomorrow and be excited to come back to the rink. So my advice for kids is have fun, make it fun. Don't, don't compare yourself to every other kid. Well, I want to be, you know, the best guy on the ice every night. That's not what it's about. Cause when you start having fun, you get better at things. And, um, obviously you have to work. Like I wasn't, I wasn't drafted or anything, but that motivated me to work harder than the guys that were. And I, I mean, yeah. you know, it sucks to say it, but I've, I, I had, there was six, seven, eight guys that were way better than me on my team. And, you know, you come back to play for the Oilers. I remember walking in the mall one time. I'm not going to say his name, but he's working at a kiosk at the fucking mall. And it's like, well, maybe like what, what happened? You know, like was there too much pressure on him was like, did he get ahead of himself and forget to work? So that's where I'm at. Like I'm a guy that will grab my work boots and my work bag and work fucking just as hard as anybody on the ice and that's how I made it I didn't make it because I was the best stick handler the best skater I made it because every coach I that that had me knew I was going to have fun and knew I was going to work my ass off 
Well said. That, that that's yeah. Well said. That's awesome advice. And I just want to clarify one thing before everybody starts going checking Alberta men's league stats. I don't play men's league. Like, uh, dude, did Wayne Gretzky play men's league, Vern? Just a quick question. So. <laughs> there you go. So neither do I. And we're gonna roll into the last question. And this this is actually a phone-in question from uh, your buddy Taylor Harnett. Um, he told us to ask you about the Lee Garden incident. And I don't have any idea what this is. For for people that don't know what Lee Gardens is, it's a it's a it's a little Chinese food restaurant. I, I don't even think it exists anymore. Clay does it. I think that's now absolutely like still in Woodville. Yeah, I yeah, hope but it is does. It, that's a best it's Chinese. Right by, buddy, it's right by the Hillview Pub still. Okay, yeah. okay. So listen. So next time you're in town, so I didn't know it was there because usually I I run a Millwood's pub crawl every single year, and we've been doing it for about. I don't know, seven or eight years. And we have a theme every year. And man, this gets like anywhere from 50 to hundred people. So that's a whole nother podcast. Okay. I'll tell you about that another time, but I want to hear about this Lee garden incident because Taylor says you got to ask him about it. Fuck it, Taylor. Um, yeah. So we, you know, your mom and dad would go out on a Friday night, right? They'd give you 50 bucks and be like, Hey, order food in. So what we do is we, you know, it's fucking like minus 80 in Edmonton. So we'd, We'd ice down the we'd ice down the corner of uh, our, our house in Mill Woods. We'd ice down the corner right at where you walked up to our front step with with hot water and make it basically an ice rink. And then we'd we'd let it freeze. And then we'd call Lee Gardens and be like, "Hey, we need a dinner for four or whatever." <laughs> <laughs> you know, the the, the 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 delivery guy would be hustling and bustling around and fucking trying to get all his orders out while they're hot. And we'd we'd set up shop and we'd sit up in the front window and we'd all, we'd all watch this guy come in fucking hot. He'd leave his door wide open. He's got, <laughs> he's got the bag, <laughs> bag of Chinese food. And he'd come hot around that corner. And as soon as he'd bust the right, he'd fucking just bail. Right. Like, I mean, Chinese food everywhere. And we'd be, we couldn't even answer the door cause we were laughing so hard. Right. But then we'd, 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 we'd just order enough where we could order something else too. So we'd order fucking pizza too. And we, we'd get the same reaction, right? You got the fucking pizza delivery guy come out, hat on fucking backwards. Like, and he'd come fucking ripping around the corner and we'd be waiting for this fucking guy again. And he'd come and just bust it. Like, I mean, parallel, parallel to the <laughs> sidewalk, like upside down the side. It was so slippery, right? Like we're lucky we didn't get our parents sued from these delivery guys banging their head and, crashing their head open so that's that's lead garden <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> that's some good ones that's some good ones all we uh, we appreciate you coming on uh fids this uh this means a lot to us it's uh it was a blast no i'm i'm glad we got to catch up and hopefully everybody's uh doing well back there in alberta i hope it's not too cold for you guys yet yeah we actually got lucky this week the weather no it's fine you you probably had more snow than we did yeah, we, we had know. 16 inches of snow in one in one day. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, my my in-laws my in-laws live in uh mother-in-law and her husband live in West Kelowna and they're yeah they had their canopy and all that is trashed and yeah. So, so did you get the kids to shovel? Oh yeah. I got all the neighbors Blake, uh, my son Blake, he's 13. I had him shoveling everyone's sidewalks. 
putting them to work that a video boy. games around here. That go. a boy. <laughs> yes. Start, start them young. So, well, we wish you all the best. And uh, once you guys get back going at the WHL level, coaching wise, we uh, wish you guys the best there and the upcoming season. Hopefully we can get that going. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Thanks guys. Great catching up with you. All the best. Good luck with the podcast. Thanks. You awesome, too, buddy. Kids. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you.